Thank you all. Enjoyed worshiping with you so far this morning. You know, I've, I've listened to these guys online, and I've listened to them uh, in present, present a lot. I actually was, uh, this week, I was cruising through some of, uh, some of the worship sets, just listening to worship sets, because they're all available still online. So I was just going on time listening to, going online listening to various worship sets of the, of the last few months, and just really being blessed. I enjoy worshiping with you, and I enjoy watching you worship. So thank you very much for uh, the blessing that you were to me this morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. I'm looking for the light. I'm supposed to, there's supposed to be a light on top of those things, and I can't see any red lights. I only see one green one, so I'm just going to look around then. Somebody will have to point me where I'm supposed to look. They're, they're, it's getting fancier and fancier, and they're not going to be able to look at a light and know which one's on and all kinds of stuff in here. Hopefully all of it happens without you having to worry about it too much. I'll worry about it instead. But um, this morning I just want to remind you that uh, we left, we left two weeks ago before I left, we left John the Baptist sitting in a, t- sitting in a jail waiting for an ultimate end, which we already know about in four, four chapters later. And it just felt bad leaving him there. Um, I couldn't I couldn't really let him go. I, I've let him go, but I couldn't let the situation go. I wanted to I wanted to talk about how he gets through that. I want to talk today about living beyond period. Living beyond the circumstances of the moment. Living beyond the the day that I'm experiencing. Living beyond the ups living beyond the downs. I want to talk about living beyond where we are in a knowledge and an awareness of who God is and what God does. So today I want to invite you to uh, find Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're looking for it, I remind you Hebrews is in the New Testament. Hebrews is a tough book to find. You expect it to show up before it does. The easy way to find Hebrews just look for the T's in the New Testament. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Hebrews is right after that. If you get to the T's, it's, you're right there. If you start in the back, it's closer to the back than it is to the front. So Hebrews chapter 11, it's a chapter that a lot of people are, are uh, aware of who read the Bible regularly. It's a chapter that, that talks about the faith of those who have gone before. And faith is the key element to being able to live beyond the moment. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we are opening your word. As we do, we pray that you would open our hearts to it, that we might understand, connect with, and take home what is ours from it. We're grateful for your grace that covers us as we struggle through. We're grateful for your promises that are ours to hold on to. And we're grateful that you love us, that we fully are aware that we deserve otherwise. I pray for your blessings on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was in in Texas this last week. I missed you all a little bit. Not as much as you might imagine. Um, because I was there with my son and my daughter-in-law and a three almost four-year-old and a one almost two-year-old. 
When you are with little kids, when you are with children, when you, well, maybe I should just say, as a grandpa, because I shouldn't just generalize. Some of you may actually hate little kids. What kind of demon is possessing you? I don't know. But these, the, when I am around those little guys, it is renewing to me. It's refreshing to me. Um, when, my, when the words out of their, my grandson's mouth who talks, my, my, my son and my daughter-in-law are fairly quiet people. My grandson can talk in a continuous line of verbiage for a half an hour. And if he doesn't know the word, he just makes them up as he goes along. But to hear him just talk and just be there and be excited about little things and getting his cars out or playing and playing with his sister or whatever is going on, it is just rejuvenating. When you are around children, if you're paying attention, you are living in the future. Ever thought about that? When you are hanging out with children, you are living in the future. Because they are the future, right? We talk about this all the time. The children are the future of the church. The children are the future of the country. Blah, 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 blah. We don't treat them like that, but that's, that's what we talk about. But when you are there, when you're actually paying attention to a child, when you're hanging out with a child, when you're going down the slide with a child or playing hide-and-seek with a three-year-old, which is always interesting, when you're doing those kinds of things, you're living in the future. Because the words you are sharing with that child are being carried forward by a being that will live beyond you. Think about that for just a second. When you share the wisdom of your old age with a child... The words you are sharing have the potential in that child to live beyond you. Therefore, you are living in the future. We should respect a lot more the things we say to children. We should be thoughtful about the things we say to children. We should consider what kind of wisdom we might grant the future. What would you want to say if you knew for sure that what you were going to say to someone was going to outlive you? What would you want to say? I mean, there are some things I said while teaching my children to drive that I wish I hadn't said. I, I, no, no bad words. Just the way I drive is a little aggressive. And I wish I had not been quite that teacher. Especially one time when I was riding in the rain with one of my kids and it was pouring down rain and just zipping down the freeway. And I'm like, should have told him to slow down. Should have told him to slow down. What words would you hold with a little more care if you knew you were handing it off to the future. This is also true if you're talking to a 20-year-old. They're not children, no matter how you think of them. But you are sharing with someone who will probably walk beyond you. It's cool. You live in the future when you talk to the young. You live in the future when you talk to the young. You also live in the future when your eyes know there is a future beyond our world. When you begin to see beyond the horizon of time, you can live in the future. This is the blessings of being a believer in God. This is the blessings of being a follower of Christ. As you can live beyond the moment in which you exist because of what you know to be true in faith. Think about that for a second. You can live beyond... The moment in which you exist because of what you know to be true by faith. You can see over the horizon of time because the, the, your faith reaches over that horizon, over that time horizon. 
you can live beyond your present circumstances. And that's where I want to bring you back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is sitting in a prison out in the desert, across from the Dead Sea on the Jordan side of the Dead Sea, as it would, as it would be geographically today. As he's living there, it's not, um, it's not, the, it's not the prisons you see in uh, European movies or m- movies about European dungeons, you know, where there's dripping with water inside and, you know, you've got that, that moldy wetness all around. It's not that kind of thing. It's a desert prison. Um, it's, it's a dry place. It's a place where when the wind blows in, it carries the smell of the sulfur off the, off the Dead Sea. There's, this is a different kind of a place. This is a, a prison in the desert. As he's living in this spot, there's parties going on around and outside because Herod has turned this into one of his palaces. And so you've got prison and palace all in one place. And there's where John is. And as he has gotten the news back from Jesus, and if I can pick those of you up who remember from last week online or remember from last week here, uh, or two weeks ago, sorry, you, you remember that we were talking about the fact that John sent word to Jesus and he said, what's going on? Can you tell me, are you the one? And Jesus sent back a message that essentially said, I'm not coming for you. Because Jesus quoted Isaiah and he, he quoted the places where the, the people would learn of God and that they would be healed and things of that nature. But he, he skipped the phrase that said that he would rescue those imprisoned. He was, he was essentially saying to John, you know the passage and you know what I just left out. I'm not coming for you, buddy. But John wasn't living bound by the walls of the prison. He had never lived his life bound by the circumstances of the moment. He had always lived as one who saw over the horizon. In utero, he saw Christ in his mother. Crazy. Ever thought about a prophet that was this big inside his mother? That's what happened. He started responding to the voice of Mary because Mary was carrying the Christ and he was the forerunner of Christ. He was never a person who lived in the present. He was always living beyond the horizon. So as he sat in that prison that day, imagine him gathering in that information. What did he say to you? He said, sick are healed, blind are given their sight. The gospel is preached. Is that all he said? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He didn't say anything about setting free the prisoners. No? No, he didn't say that. Oh. Okay. In John's weeks that followed, what keeps his spirit, what keeps his faith, He's living beyond the prison walls. Let me share with you the way it is approached in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the famous chapter where they run through the power of the people who have lived in the past. That is their faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham and Sarah. And then it says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received, not having received the promise. These all died, phrase one, in faith. 
They still had faith. They still were trusting God. When their eyes closed for the last time, they closed in faith. They closed in expectation. These are all people who had faith. They knew. They knew something. They lived into something that wasn't yet there. This is the, the truth of being a follower of God. When you start as a believer, you start out at the, at the beginning of your life as a believer, and we've talked about it here before, God provides you with a lot of support. Most of the time in your early life as a believer, you start getting answers to prayer that are pretty powerful. They actually become your testimony. And I, I've, I hear some of those testimonies, and it's awesome. And now that I've been a believer, I, was, I, I became a, a real believer at 17. I'm no longer 17. I know it's hard to imagine. It's been a few years since I was 17. And things have changed in the way the answers to prayers come. They don't come as fast and hard as they came in those first couple of years. I remember asking God specifically, I want, I want some information about what I should do with my life, where I should go, what should be my future. What am I, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I got answer number one. I went back for a second answer. I got answer number two. I went back for a third answer and I got answer number three. All of that happened in about six months. And I felt the support of God in my choice of direction. And I knew that I could lean back on those supports when I was having questions in the future because I could trust. But when you've been living with God for a longer period of time, you've probably gotten more no's than yeses. True? You've probably gotten more weights than yeses. I hate weights. I almost rather have a no. I'm standing, I'm living in a weight right now. I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm living in a weight. But I have faith that the one who's asked me to wait will give me an answer eventually. Because I don't live in the moment, I live in a future that God already knows about living beyond all these died but they had not yet received the promises Abel the promise that there would be a restoration no way for Adam and even their children to know how long it would take for that restoration Enoch he kind of got his you know Enoch kind of got his He he didn't see the world recreated without sin but he strolled into one he walked with God and then he was no more. So my, my expectation is he walked with God and walked all the way home. You know, they yoked together and off they went and they showed up in heaven the next day or the next hour, 10 minutes later. Noah. Whew. Noah, right? The promise of survival he got. The promise of a world with a fresh start he got. But he also lived long enough to see that the fresh start still held sin, that his generation brought sin into the future. It wasn't entirely better. Abraham and Sarah, a couple of my favorites because they question God. God, I know you said that I would have children, but I'm getting older. God, I'm now in my 90s, and uh, Eliezer of Damascus is going to get all my stuff. Why are you blessing me with all this stuff? I, I have no one to hand it off to. I have nobody beyond me to take my lineage forward. God, I know you just showed me the sky full of stars and made a promise to me, but are you sure? 
Sarah, you were going to have a child next year about this time. <laughs> I am too old to do that. I, let, I understand a little bit about biology and that ain't happening. Why do you laugh? I, I didn't laugh. Sound like you? Sounds like me. I like these folks. Because it's easy to think that you have to have consistent faith that never falters in order to live over the hill, right? To live over into that future. It's easy to think that you have to have faith that never, ever falters, that never questions anything, that never giggles when God makes a promise. But these people, they live life like our, lives like ours. Stay with me here for a minute. Let's walk along with them. As the Bible describes them, it says, These all died in faith, not having received their promise. Yet they, as in parentheses, because I added it, they were assured of them. They didn't receive the promises, but they were, they were sure they were coming. They all died not having received the promise, but they were certain the promises would come. You've got to realize that Abraham was a guy who was told he would have millions, billions of children and had one. You could look at that one and go, okay, this, this is clearly the miracle child, but it's a, it's a short start, God. There's, you, we could have done better. I mean, 10, 12, 15 might have been good, but one? Your plan doesn't seem to make sense to me, God. They were assured of the promises being fulfilled. And they embraced them. These are, the, this is, these are phrases straight out of the text as it reads. And they embraced them. They were assured of the promises, and they embraced the promise. You know what it's like to embrace a promise? It's like when you stop to think about that that seven or eight-year-old you're talking to. When you stop to think what words you're about to say might carry on into the future, that's knowing that there is a future. That's embracing the promise a future has. That's embracing that what you say will go forward. It's embracing a promise. It's embracing the promise in this little life, but it's embracing a promise. And when you, when you declare something and you speak something into the life thoughtfully and carefully, it carries forward. When you speak into, some, into their life something nonchalantly or cutting or angry or frightening, when you place something in that little mind that isn't a promise, it's a curse, it also goes forward. Be careful what you say to little kids. I don't want to scare you. You're gonna, all of you are going to clam up when you get around a little kid. They need to hear your voice, but, but be, be thoughtful about it. I used to say to my children, life is hard and then you die. I probably shouldn't say that. It's true. But I probably shouldn't have said it. I mean, you're seven and your dad says, life is hard and then you die. You look up at your dad and you whine about not having something. How come I can't have a cookie? Life is hard, son, then you die. Pray for my children. Please. They were, these people, aware of the future and they embraced life as if there was a future. They lived their lives as if there was a hopeful future, as if there was something over the horizon that would bless them. They lived their lives embracing the future, embracing the promises of God. And they confessed. So they've, 
They've lived into that future and now they're speaking about that future. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They told other people, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I have a promise from God that we are the people of God. And yeah, I know we're just migrating through this place. We're strangers and we're, we're walking through the, the land that belongs to another person. But God has promised all of this land to us. Yes, I only have one child, but God has promised that my children will be as the multitudes of stars in the sky, as the sand along the shore. I don't know how He's going to do it, but I know He will because I know Him. My faith is not in my ability to multiply. My faith is in God's ability to do a transformational miracle. They believed it, embraced it, and they lived it. They spoke it actually as if it existed. They, they spoke as if the promises of God were real. Think about it for a second. They spoke. Their language carried forward the concept that the promises of God were real. They believed and they spoke into the future. It wasn't just kind of a, I'll, I'll hold this to myself quietly because it's kind of embarrassing to tell anybody that I believe that there's a God. But these are people who spoke it out into other people's lives. I believe that I can trust in God. I believe that I can go forward with Him. And they told the story of God's promises to the next generation. And that story, though not exactly as they expected it, carried forward into the next generation. Why do we know that Sarah giggled inside the tent? Because Sarah and Abraham told us. Why do we know that they were astonished at the birth of this child? Because they told us. This child is the fulfillment of the promise of God. How much do I trust Him? How much am I sure? Well, one day God had me take Him up on top of a mountain. He was a teenage kid. He's 17, 18 years old. And had me take Him up on the mountain and bring my knife, bring the sticks, build an altar, get ready to, to light a fire. He asked me while we were doing all this, we have, we have, uh, we have some coals for the fire. We have sticks we have an all, or we have uh, everything we need here, but where, where's the lamb? We forgot to get a lamb. And I told him, God will provide for himself a lamb. You know why I did that? Because I knew I could trust God. I didn't know how God was going to do it. I, I wasn't sure, but I knew I could trust him. And Abraham told his wife when he got home what had happened. They told their their family, and Isaac told his family, and other people told other people, and other people told other people, and people told you, so that you could, you could imagine yourself on top of the hill as a father with a knife in your hand and your son on the altar. And you could ask yourself if you could trust God in that moment. And we hear from their testimony. We hear from the from the recitation of the stories that we can live beyond the horizon of our understanding and the horizon of time and the horizon of our conflicts and the horizon of our blessings. Sometimes I drill down into the present. Do you? Sometimes I drill down into the moment in which I live. 
Sometimes I drill down into what's going on around me to the point that it, became, it, it can become literally overwhelming. If you ever come to my office and I'm rearranging furniture, I'm overwhelmed. That's what I do. You can ask the people who work with me regularly. I will rearrange the entire office because I'm just overwhelmed and I've got to do something that makes a difference on something. So I'm moving furniture. My desk is heavy. I have to get under it, lift it with my shoulders and crawl along the floor to move it. But I don't ask for help. I just do this myself because I need to make an impact on something because I'm feeling overwhelmed. Do you ever drill down in the moment and get overwhelmed? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Doesn't happen to anybody else, does it? Liars. These people live their lives knowing that God had something else for them. And this is now the, presentary, the presentation, the commentary that is being made by the author of Hebrews. He says, people who talk like that, people who say such things, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Stay with this phrase because he's going he's to talk us through this a little bit. They seek a homeland. They desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. So he's saying, people who talk like being strangers here, like they don't belong here, like there's something else beyond this, they're not seeking a homeland that is here. But now, remember the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these people was, look, you're going to get a promised land. You're going to get a gift from God. You're going to go out there to this place where you don't live now. You're going to escape your own home. You're going to go to a foreign land. You're going to look for another place. When you arrive at that place, you're not going to own it. You're going to wander around. You're going to be out there 400 years. Your your kids are going to go off into isolation and they're going to be slaves and they're going to come back and then they're going to get the promised land and they're going to get this piece of property and it was all so very real and so very tangible. It was dirt and it was water and it was plants and it was animals. It was cities. It was all very, very structural and real and tangible. But these people knew that this was not the final story. You see, these people, like the people who had gone before them, knew that sin was going to go away eventually, that God was going to eliminate the problem that caused the mess. And when he eliminated the problem that caused the mess, that was sin, that that thing would change everything. And that there would be a renewal like nothing you could understand. There would be a transformation like never happened before. And these people, in spite of the fact that the promise was so tangible and under their feet, knew that even this would carry before and beyond. That there would be something else. The reason I'm talking to you today is the next phrase. If you're reading ahead in your Bible, you probably already have read it. It's this phrase. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. These people live beyond the horizon. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. These people were looking for a homeland that was not made by man, a city whose builder and maker was God. They were looking for something different. They were looking for something transformed. They were looking for something that no longer was bound by sin and suffering and pain. They were looking beyond what they knew to be real in the life they lived to something God might have for them. And looking beyond that, And watching them look and watching their hearts extend beyond what they even could understand. God looked down. And this phrase is an interesting one. I I want you to consider it. And he looked at them and he said, I'm not ashamed to be their God. 
I don't know. Doesn't sound like a huge compliment to me. Does it to you? He looked at him and said, hey, it's cool. It's at least good enough that I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not ashamed of them. There's reasons, obviously, everybody knows, but I'm not ashamed of them. Doesn't it seem like kind of a backhanded compliment? Welcome home, son. I just wanted to tell you I'm not ashamed to be your father. Probably not going to use that one. I want to speak better words into the future. Is that what it's saying? Is God saying, okay, at least I don't have to be ashamed. Is that what this is? What if we turned the word around? What if we, what if we say this in a positive frame? If we took out the not ashamed and we just put, I'm proud. What if, what if it was, and so, therefore God is proud to be called their God? Would you feel better about that? I'd feel a lot better about that. God is proud to be called their God. God is glad to be called their God. God is happy to be called their God. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Here, I want to give you a, a couple of reasons for the word not ashamed. I want to start with the fact that Satan has been accusing you of bad behavior since you were born. Satan has been telling the world, the universe, anyone who would listen, God especially, that you don't deserve to be saved. That you have done enough wrong. You were are, are born into sin. You do not deserve to be saved. And in the conflict that is going on, the battle that's going on, there's one question that God has asked. According to what we're reading so far, according to what is being stated in Hebrews 11, there's one big discussion, and that is, do they trust me? Do they, if they trust me, I'll save them. Do they trust me? And Do they trust me? Do they trust me? Look, look, they're trusting me. Stop judging them. They're trusting me to save them, so I'll save them. They're looking beyond the present into the future. They're looking beyond the restrictions of their own sin. And they're trusting me. So I'm taking them home. End of discussion. End of battle. End of judgment. Let me put it in another frame. The people who have walked with God through difficult times. People like John sitting there in the hours after the message came from Jesus. The people who, like John, are looking at a future that is bleak, imprisoned, or whatever. They focus not on their circumstances, but on what God can do. And it changes everything. It changes the way you take your breath. It changes the beat of your heart. It changes the anger in your soul to know that you're in God's hand. And God says, it's going to be a hard few days for him. It's tough what he's going to have to endure. He's mine. I know he's in prison. I know that he shouldn't open his mouth and made the king mad. I know that a big chunk of this is his fault, but he's mine. 
God's not ashamed to claim you even in your sin. Even though he knows the record. And so does the rest of the universe. He's not ashamed to claim us. But for us to claim him. He's not ashamed to be our God. He says, look. The consequences of the mess that he finds himself in is bigger than him. And the harshness of what he's about to face is really going to be hard for him. And I'm joining him. Remember the scripture says that when hard times go, you don't do them alone, you don't face them alone, that the Spirit of God is present with you where you are. The angels of God in camp with and around you sent by God himself. Because God is not ashamed of your sin or mine. He's not ashamed. The question might then become, should we? Should we be? If we've handed it over to Jesus, all he asks is that we follow him from there. It's not ashamed to be called our God. And the last part is in the next phrase. The last thing I'm going to talk about if I can make this work. The last phrase. The end of verse 16. He's not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared a city for them. There are two sides to this. On the one hand, they are hoping that he will come through. And he's coming through. So he's not going to let them down. He's not ashamed to be called their God because he's not letting them down. He's got this thing worked out. He will see this through. He has prepared a place. Those people who are looking for a place, there's a place. They're not looking for a fantasy. They're looking into a reality that you can't see. But they can see. Moses is described as choosing to follow with the people of Israel, to be seen with them, to be tortured with them, to be treated badly for them, because he could see the invisible God. What do you see? What are your eyes focusing on? See, there's a place being built. It's it's built. It's it's revelation has described it already. For you, over the horizon, beyond the present, into the future that God holds in his hand, that you can only accept and move toward by faith, but when you accept it and move toward it by faith, it changes the circumstances of every moment. It changes everything about you. When John realized that he was in God's hands, he knew that he was in good hands. When he knew that Jesus wasn't coming to get him, he knew that God could be trusted. So he wasn't panting and frustrated and sad and heartbroken and worried. and He wasn't shouting into the darkness, where are you and why aren't you coming? Because he had faith that no matter what happened here, he was okay. That the future was in the hands of God and his future was covered by the grace of God 
and his eternity was secure in God. And he hadn't even seen the crucifixion yet. He hadn't heard of the resurrection yet. Easter hadn't happened yet. None of these people lived after the crucifixion, and we have. Hebrews will make that point. All of them lived before they could see what you saw. And God chose not to finish revealing himself in the way he revealed himself to you and to me until now. So we have a, a great deal more information. Because we live after the cross. We live after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We live after, after God proved his absolute love for us. And the resurrection opened the door of the grave and allowed us an exit plan. There's an interesting experiment done. Um, I've been stuck on Jordan Peterson's book, The Twelve Rules for Life. I'm going through it a third time right now. But in describing the importance of what you focus on, Daryl, what's the word called? What's the, you can only see the center of what's in your eyes? Central what? Phobia. Thank you. I told you I would talk to you today. They did this experiment where they put two teams out playing uh, a ba- a basketball. Sometimes they do it on a court. Sometimes they just do it in a space. It's all very well lit, and there's no sleight of hand. One team is all in white, passing a ball. The other team's all in black, passing a ball. They bring in people, and they tell those people, we want you to watch this game, watch what happens, and count how many times the black team passes the ball. So count all the times that the ball passes between members of the team that is dressed in black, okay? Okay, so everybody starts watching. And this goes on. It's not a long experiment. They go on. I think that they only pass the ball about 15 times in the duration of the experiment. And so we ask the person. So there's, you know, a panel of eight or ten people. And they say, okay, how, how many times they pass the ball? And they go down the list. And about 80% of the people get the, the right answer. And they're like feeling good about themselves. We're good. Okay, we, we counted it. We got them all right. And then they, the, 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 the person who's doing the experiment says, did you see the gorilla? People are like, Gorilla? What are you talking about, gorilla? You didn't see any gorilla. There was a gorilla. You didn't see the gorilla. And a, f- a small percentage of people will say, yes. I'm not sure whether they actually see the gorilla or if they're just lying because they want, they know this is the answer they're supposed to give. But a small percentage of the people will say, yes, I saw the gorilla. But in the middle of this experiment where people are told in this confined area, this is not like a, 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 a huge space. In this confined area with this confined number of people, Watch them count the ball. And they'll watch the ball move, ball movement, ball movement, ball movement. And a gorilla, literally, a guy in a gorilla suit, full-size gorilla suit, walks into the middle, not the edge, but into the middle of the as the ball is being passed around. And he stands there. In fact, I think he actually does something. I can't remember what he does. And then he walks off. He's there about three seconds. Now, you would think if a guy in a gorilla suit walked in the midst of a group of people, you'd see him. But most people don't see him. Because your eye picks up what you focus on. 
Your eye sees what you focus on. Look up at me for a second. Just look at me. Okay? Now, notice what you're not seeing and notice what you are seeing. I'm looking at you right there. I can see you. I can see a little bit around you. I can see the people behind you. I can see the people to your left, my right. The person who is all the way to your right, I can just barely tell there's a person there. These people out here, I know they're there, but they're just some color. Over there, nothing. Over here, nothing. But I see you. And I see the two people behind you and the one guy up here. I can see her. She kind of gets my attention a lot. There's no test, not a good test there. But did you notice how little you actually see? They, they say that if your eyes' con- entire content was allowed to be processed through your brain, your brain would have to be like four times that it is now because of all the information. You're taking in so much information all of the time that your, your brain can't take the time to take it all in and record it. It's why movement catches us on the side, sides of our eyes. We'll be watching something and something will move and we'll turn our head. We turn our head because we have to focus on what moved. Because your, uh, your brain can't, can't use this much energy, can't use this much effort to keep track of all of this that's going on. Why am I talking about this? You probably wonder that a lot when I start preaching. Why is he talking about this? Because what you focus on, it seems, it seems so odd, what you focus on gets your attention. What you focus on changes things. Be careful what you focus on. Be careful what you give your mind to. Be careful what you look at. Because it changes things. Ever been listening to something? It could be anything. It could be a piece of music. It could be, it could be somebody talking about something. It could, be, uh, it could be any number of things. The voice of someone familiar or the voice of someone unfamiliar. And it changes your heart rate. You ever noticed it? Do you ever notice stress going up sometimes when you hear something or see something? Do you ever notice yourself calming down when you see some things? I told you at the beginning about going to Texas and hanging out with these little kids. Hanging out with these little kids is a reset. It helps me remember what's important in the world. It helps me remember what's important to the future for me. So here's my last word to you. God, the creator of the universe, knows who you are and he loves you. If you needed more than that phrase, he came to the planet and lived in a body like yours, suffered the struggles and pains and issues and hassles that you struggle He had a brain that got confused at times. He had a body that hurt at times. He slept in the cold. He slept in the heat. He dealt with it all, just like you. And after having lived a life without sin, he chose to go to the cross and die as if he had sinned as a substitute for you and I. So we didn't have to because the wages of sin is death. And so he took death. He went into a tomb, a borrowed tomb. He didn't even have the forethought to pick his own tomb. He borrowed one. He was only going to use it for a few days anyway. So he was buried like you. He was put in the grave like you. And he 
stayed for a few days unlike you. And when the stone was rolled away and he came out of the tomb, he made a promise. He demonstrated the truth of the promise of a resurrection. Job had said, I know that though I die, I will see God physically. I will see Him in the land of the living. The promise has been there all along. Jesus proved its veracity. And He went back to the Father with the promise, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And He said, just watch over the horizon. You don't have to live like this. Forever eternity is going to be different. There will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more pain, no more death, no more question about your neighbor's motives. No more worry that somebody's ripping you off. No more disease, no more heartache, no more lost loved ones. Because sin and its results will be taken away. You can look over the horizon. I promise you it's true. And when you face a day that's hard, focus that limited attention you have on the promise of God of a better tomorrow. It'll change things for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are all aware that a promise like that is bigger than us. We're not deserving of it. We're grateful for it. I'm also so grateful that the people listed in Hebrews 11 are people who have faults. Who also make mistakes. that we can be certain. We can be certain of the covering of your grace if we want it. Of the forgiveness of our sins. That the wages of sin that account to us were taken by Jesus and our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life because we asked for it to be. I pray for your grace to be poured out upon all those who are here and all those who are listening. I pray that those who have not yet fully surrendered will. That they not have to face the world another day without hope of a better tomorrow. We thank you for Jesus. For the assurance that his life, death, and resurrection provide. And we pray, Lord, on the days when it gets tough, that we will remember you took tough days for us. When we lose someone we love, that you lost a member of the Godhead for us. And when things seem bleak and dark, we remember 
that resurrection is promised. And that we'll live not for all that we can do or gain here, but that we'll live into the future beyond ourselves, beyond the moment. In Jesus' name, amen.